Pittsburgh Steelers scored the most points they have this entire season and still lost to the Cincinnati Bengals. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. Welcome to the cutting room floor. The Steelers' loss to the Bengals puts this season on a different trajectory. You may be wondering what I mean by that and sitting here saying they, they were already losing. They were already bad. Uh, what does the loss to the Bengals change about a team that is losing? The difference here is the Steelers' loss here puts them out of really any realistic chance of getting back into this division. If they had won this game, they would have been 4-6, and 2-1 and one inside the AFC North. And... To be, to be honest, they, they needed one loss from the Bengals and one loss from the Ravens more, and they would have been in control of their own destiny. They faced the Ravens twice still. You win both of those. Uh, the Ravens' record is one game better than you. The Bengals going out, we would have had them swept. We would have needed to have tied them one game away from doing that. Right, One loss by them away from doing it, and the Steelers are in control of their own destiny. That's not a terrible place to be. That is within striking distance. That really is. That's almost in control of your own destiny. That's a fine place to be. Right now, the Steelers are way behind that because of this loss to the Bengals. So any any real hope of this season being salvaged just went away. That's what just happened here this week. Any hope that T.J. Watt's return, the offense doing better, which it is, could equal This team competing and and getting up there to challenge for the division, for the wild card, that's pretty much gone. The the odds of that are are incredibly low now. The Steelers almost have to win out. And even then, they they could still miss it. And the odds of winning out are not good. (laughs) That's not good. Uh, But what I, I wanted to talk about this week is the... Steelers are playing better, especially on offense. And yet, this game really revealed some serious flaws in this offense. I, I'm sure most of you can pick a, a few of the topics I'm going to talk about today right now. You could guess it and be absolutely correct. Uh, but let's get into it. <laughs> the core of this offense as it's growing these last two weeks, since the bye week, the offense has improved both weeks. It's been really good. I talked last week about how uh, the Steelers had six scoring chances, drives where they either scored a touchdown or kicked a field goal. They did it again this week. That's a good number. Six scoring chances is good. The difference this week is they scored three touchdowns and hit all three field goals. That's 30 points. That's the Todd Haley offense. The the famous, we want to score 30 points a game. We got there. Three touchdowns, three field goals. That's a good offense. They did it against a good defense in Cincinnati. I was hoping DJ Reader wouldn't make it back for this game. He did. He's a very good run defender and, and really stuffed the Steelers' run game in week one. Really was devastating to the Steelers' offensive line in week one. This time around, the Steelers were able to run the ball. And that's the 
first part of our core of the offense, we're going to go with Najee Harris. Najee Harris, since the bye week, is looking a lot more like his self that we saw last year, just with a better offensive line. Najee Harris finding his game again, getting back, finding his confidence, running hard, running like we're used to seeing, and having success there, as the offensive line really comes together and plays better and and, and is playing some of its best football, that's a big deal. The offensive line is good enough. Najee Harris is very good when he's healthy and playing well. The second part of our core right now, Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett, two games without an interception after eight in his previous five games, two of those being half games, so really four games played, eight interceptions, four games worth of snaps played, eight interceptions. Now he's gone two without throwing one, and this time... He got a touchdown in there. He was throwing downfield better. He also showed some of the playmaking we saw from him in college. We saw him scramble, avoid pressure, and get his eyes downfield and find a target. That was Kenny Pickett's strength in college. That was where you can compare him to a, you know, one of his traits to one of Ben Roethlisberger's traits is in when there's trouble in the pocket and he is moving and avoiding it, He's able to get his eyes downfield. He's able to keep his eyes downfield and find open guys. Ben Roth, that's one of Ben Roethlisberger's best attributes. Now, obviously, Kenny Pick is not Ben Roethlisberger. I feel like I have to say that every show. He's not. I'm not comparing them in that way of overall talent. But that is one attribute that Ben Roethlisberger had that made him very successful that Kenny Pickett also has. And he showed that this game. I really, really liked seeing that. Uh, he, he played better overall. He really just played better overall. Uh, Pickett is really showing some growth now after the bye week, which is tradition, <laughs> at least for the Steelers. I, I don't follow other teams' rookie developments as much, but for the Steelers, their rookies always do better after the bye week. Almost always. Next part of our core group is Pat Fryermuth. Pat Firemuth is, as a tight end, is a mismatch weapon. He's just very versatile. He is your, he is what today would be like the the prototype tight end to me, right? He's not purely a move tight end. He's not purely an inline tight end. He can do both. He's a dangerous receiver, but not like Travis Kelsey level. He's also not one of those receiver only tight ends that can't block. He can do both. He's just kind of a prototype of the new tight end. In the same way that you would call Heath Miller kind of a prototype tight end for his time period, where he was much more of a blocker, but also a solid to good receiver, a reliable check down target, you know, stick mover, that kind of a guy. Tight ends are more involved in the passing game now, and Pat Firemuth kind of represents where the tight end position is right now. He's kind of the prototype tight end. The last uh, skill position I want to talk about on our core is George Pickens. George Pickens has had a really good week this week. We need his splash plays. There is and have been signs that we need to be concerned about a little bit here. And that is uh, some of his decisions 
some of his decision making, some of his 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 play shows some ill-advised like lashing out kind of responses like in the moment in his feelings you know just getting away from smart proper football and into his own head into his own feelings uh and that's not good we need him catching passes we need him high pointing the ball we need him scoring touchdowns what we don't need is that stupid and in it, it it doesn't belong in the sport. That that helmet attack at the end of the game, the onside kick. We need much, much less of that. That was that's not okay. You don't just go after someone like that. Helmet to helmet on the ground. He was rightfully kicked out. Uh I would not be surprised, nor would be opposed to him being suspended. Missing a game or two. That kind of it wasn't brutal. It wasn't as it wasn't super dangerous, you know. No one got seriously hurt, but it shows a complete lack of regard for your fellow players. And you can't have that. You can't have that. George Pickens needs to. George Pickens needs to focus his energy in positive directions and keep it there, not let himself get off on those tangents. Uh, it, it felt to me at the end there like. It, it really affected me. I'm going to say it this way. It really affected me because we're used to the Steelers facing a tough Bengals team and coming out on top at the end while the Bengals self-destruct and implode. Especially with, with plays like that. And this time it was the other way around. This time it was the other way around. player that I am not including on this list is one we're going to talk about here for the last little bit here. Deontay Johnson. Deontay Johnson is a target eater, but he has not shown himself to be a playmaker, really. Not a reliable playmaker. Deontay Johnson gets a lot of hype, a lot of credit for being a very good route runner. And that's what I want to talk about here. I want to talk about route running and being a wide receiver. Route running has always been valuable. It always has been. It's just never been as respected and it hasn't been elevated in people's esteem like it is right now. If you go back to Antonio Brown, 2014, 15, even 2016, while Antonio Brown is putting up ridiculous numbers, Three years into his five-year stretch that was historic. Deontay, uh, Antonio Brown was not universally considered to be the best receiver in the league. He was often compared to and put beneath Julio Jones. And some people even put him beside, behind other receivers that they said were better. Those receivers were more the traditional, had more of the traditional skill sets. They were faster. They had more. They were more deep threat. They were taller, uh, more of a more of a go up and bring down the ball kind of receiver. The kind of receiver that had been what the NFL wanted and thought of as the top receivers for a very long time. The rules about how you can hit receivers, defenseless pro- receiver protection rules, changed a lot of that. And Antonio Brown hits early in that. Span. He is he he is in the league and coming up 
as these rule as this rule is being enforced, right? And it opens room for him to really excel in the middle of the field without taking hits like the one Bontez Berkeley put on him that that was a penalty and, and led to a suspension. That those kind of plays being largely taken out of the game open up for route running. Antonio Brown excels and yet wasn't widely respected. As you get to the end of that five-year stretch, it really turns. The media starts promoting Antonio Brown as this absolute superstar. And then his meteoric collapse and fall from that level down to what he became, right? Kind of cemented that peak as, my goodness, look how good he was. He was so good. Fast forward to today where you have a lot of young players coming out of college who have advanced route running, much more than you used to see from rookies. I, I take these guys back. Take a Chris Olave. Uh, take uh, Demarcus Smith. Take, take these guys that have come out in the last couple of years, really high-end route runners that are, that are kind of Antonio Brown-esque in their size, uh, often better athletes than he was, and you look at that route running, and then you look back and realize in 2014 and 2015, these guys were in high school. They were learning to play wide receiver, watching Antonio Brown talk about working on his craft, becoming a better route runner, footwork, little steps, all these things becoming more important. And these kids are working on it, looking for people who can help them work on this. They go to college and they expect to be coached route running and get better at it. Route running has become a very big catchword for, you know, a, a talent of receiver. It's it's become, in my opinion, bigger than size and speed, right? If you're if you're big and you're fast, but well, well how how well do you run routes? That's really taken over the league now. Deontay Johnson, to me, is a great example of the limits of route running. As route running has become more and more in vogue, more the, the trait people want to see from receivers, it has limits. And Deontay Johnson shows those limits. If what you have is the ability to run routes, but you don't have great hands, you're, you're not going to be great. If you don't have a great knack for finding and sitting in the soft spot of the defense, you're not going to be great. If you struggle to turn your route running wins into big plays and catches downfield, you're not going to be a great receiver. There is more to this, right? If you took Deontay Johnson, you combined him and George Pickens, you'd have one of the greatest receivers in the history of the NFL. But Deontay Johnson, when he wins a route and he's deep, that target has to be, the ball that's thrown to him has to be really on point. He doesn't offer a large catch window. And he doesn't offer a lot of contested catch wins. So downfield, Deontay Johnson is hard to utilize, even though he's going to create separation. He doesn't create a large window of opportunity for the quarterback. Compare that with George Pickens, who doesn't need separation to create a large window of opportunity for the quarterback. You can throw to him downfield, he's going to come down with the ball. Different animal there. Deontay Johnson is a route runner, and that route running 
gets him quick wins in short passing situations and short passing routes that can be exploited and used for volume targets. That's why I call him a target eater. He is. But he's not going to gain you tons of yards. And the other problem he has is he doesn't record a high enough catch rate on those shorts targets. When you look at guys who live and die by short targets, right, that's their main usage. What you see from them is they catch an incredibly high amount of those short targets and they gain yards after the catch. You don't see either of those from Deontay Johnson. He takes those high number of short pass targets and catches a respectable but not really high amount of them, and he doesn't offer much in yards after catch. That's where I put Deontay Johnson. I think he's a fine compliment to George Pickens. I wonder if I, I, I wondered before this season if he could be the number one receiver on a really effective offense. I thought Kenny Pickett would be a better quarterback for Deontay Johnson. And Kenny Pickett to Deontay Johnson has had a high completion percentage. Had a pretty good one. He hasn't been bad. It's just what we're seeing is that the fewer targets Deontay Johnson gets, the better the offense is. And that has been consistent. The best number of targets for Deontay Johnson to get for his own efficiency and for the overall offense to work well is around four to seven. When he's in that range of targets, four to seven targets, he is more productive with those targets and the offense is better overall. So to me, Deontay Johnson is a maybe not even a great number two receiver at this point. If you if you give him five targets a game, that's and, and right now with 17 games, that's 85 targets over a season. That's not a ton. We'll see where he goes, how this offense moves going forward. We'll see how uh Pickett and Johnson do after a year together, after an offseason together, maybe next year. I mean, there's still time for them to grow together and be better this season. There's still a good number of games left. But more and more, it's looking like Deontay Johnson is not part of the core of this offense. That's the first half of our show. When we come back, we're going to talk about the defense and how the defense played better than the final numbers show. But the Bengals did a good job of exploiting some very real and very specific weaknesses the Steelers have. And we'll be back right after this break to talk about that. Welcome back, Steeler fans. I'm your host, Jeffrey Benedict. You're listening to The Cutting Room Floor. The Cutting Room Floor is brought to you, as always, by BehindTheSteelCurtain.com and the Behind the Steel Curtain family of podcasts. Make sure you're tuning in every week, every day of the week, for all the podcasts on Behind the Steel Curtain. I want to talk specifically about one today that uh, I... Got to join this week. It also comes out today. The Steelers Fix with Jeremy Betts and Andrew Wilbar invited me to come on and 
we drafted our most important players for the rest of this season on offense. I just talked about the core group. You can find out how many of those I was able to acquire in that draft. Uh, I acquired several. It was pretty good. Uh, So check that out if you're listening to this on Tuesday. The Steelers Fix also comes out today, a little later. If you're listening to this literally any other day than Tuesday, November 22nd, it's already out. You can just look for it wherever you found this one. And listen to me some more as I talk with Jeremy Betts and Andrew Wilbar about the Steelers' offense. Right now, here on the cutting room floor, we're going to get into the Steelers' defense. This game, again, Cameron Hayward's great. Uh, I, I, I try to bring that up because it's so easy just to assume Cameron Hayward was great and, and move on and not really talk about it. Uh, he has a great game every week. Just every week he is so good. This week he was up against a young, pretty solid guard for a rookie, but that's not anywhere close to a match for Cameron Hayward. And Cameron Hayward was really the strength of the defense in this game. If you want to talk about the strong points in this defense, uh, you would start and you could even kind of just stop there at Cameron Hayward. Not only did he make plays in the Bengals' backfield, where he had a sack and I believe two tackles for a loss, which I I think is more than the rest of the team had, uh, equal to or more than the rest of the team. He also was running down players on plays to the outside. He's everywhere. His his motor at his age level is incredible, and I, I think it's part of the reason he's able to play so long is because he's constantly stays active on the play. He's never slowing down. He's not taking plays off. He's not allowing himself to slow down. And so he doesn't. He's been great. Uh, Larry Okunjobi was good. Uh, Chris Wormley came in. He he wasn't bad. There was a lot of... The off, defensive line was okay. It was solid even at times. Uh, other times not as good. But really, it's it's Cameron Hayward and, and a bunch of guys. On that line, Ogunjobi wasn't as good as he was last week. He he had some struggles this week. DeMarvin Leal isn't back yet. Uh, he's practicing, I believe, now. So there's hope he's coming back, but he isn't back yet. It, it's mostly Cameron Hayward. Uh, but I do want to, I, I mentioned the offensive line. The Bengals' offensive line played a really good game. And that's especially the case when you look at T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith. Alex Highsmith had one tackle and half a sack. T.J. Watt, of course, had that incredible interception. Also shared in on that half a sack. I think had a couple of tackles, a handful of tackles even. But not what we were expecting. Especially for a Bengals team that has been struggling against edge rushers. The Bengals offensive line played a really big game this week. And they needed to. To win this game. As I mean, the final score will show you that. TJ Watt having normal TJ Watt impact would have changed that drastically. TJ Watt still isn't himself. Uh, he's playing limited snaps. Alex Highsmith had a lot more snaps than he did this week. But still, even with TJ not at 100%, this was more about the Bengals' offensive line than it was the Steelers' defensive line. They played a really good game. 
the Bengals really stepped up, you know, put their throats, put their foot on the throat of the Pittsburgh Steelers and, and put them down. Said, you're not, you're not ahead of us this year. You're not going to be. This Bengals team played like the Bengals played last season when they were on their run. They were much closer to that team than they were to the team we saw in week one. And that's the big reason they won. The linebackers. Oh, this is the rough part. The linebackers did well against the run. But uh, Bengals running backs, they're seven targets, 94 yards, three touchdowns. That's bad. That's really, really bad. Really bad. You can't you can't give up 13 yards per target to literally any position. You can't three touchdowns on seven touch on targets. Seven targets, three touchdowns. That's insane. They torched the Steelers coverage consistently. One of the problems we have this consistent is it's pretty clear at this point point the best man coverage players the Steelers have at linebacker is Devin Bush. That's his job on this team. He's your coverage specialist. He's not going to be great against the run. He's improved against the run, but he's mostly a coverage linebacker. And the Steelers continued to play Robert Spillane in dime and continue to play him more than Devin Bush, even in a game where... Yeah, okay, you're stopping the run, and that's important, but they're destroying you throwing to running backs. And looking at the film, I've got to go through. I'm going to break this down more this week. But watching the game just a couple of times, it's clear Robert Spillane is a key factor in so many of these plays. He's just not a coverage linebacker. And teams know that. And they go after him. Miles Jack has been a great improvement. He's been great in the run defense. He does a great job of limiting gains, but he is also not a great coverage linebacker. The great thing about the Devin Bush uh, Miles Jack pairing is Devin Bush takes the coverage assignments and lets Miles Jack focus on what he does best. I guess Robert Spillane is the dimebacker because they don't want to commit too heavily to run defense or pass defense, but Miles Jack is better in coverage. Then Robert Spillane. I would rather see Miles Jack in at dime. If you are worried about run defense and you don't want to put Devin Bush as your dime linebacker to just cover running backs, if you want to do that, okay, then run Robert Spillane and Devin Bush together more and make Miles Jack your dime linebacker. At least he can do it a little better than Robert Spillane. I mean, Robert Spillane is a good special teams player, a really good special teams player and a good depth linebacker. And that's it. That's all he is. I, I, I can't really even blame him. The guy was a nobody. He was undrafted. He's a great story. You want a success story in the NFL? Robert Spillane is one. He went from literally nobody to being a valuable backup linebacker and special teams player. It is not his fault that the Steelers play him So much more than that. So much more than his level of play warrants. That's not his fault. He has serious physical limitations. That's why he was undrafted. He does a lot to make up for those. Give the guy credit. But don't. 
don't put him in there in these situations where he's just overmatched. That's not fair to him. And it's not helping your team. That's my rant on the Steelers linebacker situation. Let's move on to the other problem in the Steelers' defense, the cornerbacks. If you have a three-person cornerback tandem that's going to play a lot, if you're playing nickel coverage a lot and you're going to have to deal with a team that loves to throw the ball and has a really good quarterback and some talented wide receivers, Cameron Sutton, Levi Wallace, and Arthur Millette is not the answer to facing that. It's not, it's not the answer. Akella Witherspoon is still down. Uh, he's not a starter, but he is good at covering a guy like a T. Higgins. There's there's ways to just kind of play that matchup and protect him from, you know, a lot of the run responsibilities and things like that. He he would have been a help there. William Jackson the third, they signed him. He's on he's injured. You have Levi Wallace, who is kind of a Joe Hayden, like the end of Joe Hayden's career after he'd lost several steps and needed help on deep routes, but in short coverage and cover two type roles, he was really, really good. That's Levi Wallace. He cannot cover a T Higgins one-on-one. It's not his game. Cameron Cameron Sutton. Cameron Sutton as a cornerback is a solid number two. He's not equipped to handle number one corners. Jamar Chase will torch him, but also T Higgins. One of the real problems the Steelers have facing the Bengals is honestly, they have two number one receivers. They don't have one number one receiver. It's just Jamar Chase is that much better than T. Higgins. But T. Higgins is a legit number one receiver in this league. Jamar Chase is just one of the best receivers in the league, right? It's like you, it's that's just how it is. Mike Wallace on the Steelers was a really good receiver, but he wasn't Randy Moss, right? You know? We're talking about situations like that. T. Higgins is really good. He's just not Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase was out. T. Higgins goes absolutely off, torches the Steelers. They couldn't cover him. Lots of different players to blame. The the most uh, responsible players in coverage would have to be Robert Spillane, uh, Levi Wallace, and Arthur Millette. That's really where most of this game fell. You, you take T. Higgins... And the Bengals running backs, I think they, they make up 60% of the of the Bengals' total yards and three of their four touchdowns. Just on the fact that we could not cover the Bengals' running backs or T. Higgins. And that's the game. I mean, that's seriously the game right there. That's the difference in the game. That's how you lost this game. That's a serious problem. Now... It's going to be less of a problem when we face teams that aren't the Bengals. And we'll see how those games go. We have plenty of games left that are not against the Bengals to find out what this team can do when they're not facing Joe Burrow and that offense. Hopefully it's better. Last one I want to talk about is the safety position. And here, I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick is Minka Fitzpatrick. Terrell Edmonds is Terrell Edmonds. We've talked about them a lot. We know who they are. They continue to be those players. Edmonds got beat once or twice in coverage. It's going to happen. Mostly, they're they're very good. Those weren't, I mean, they're not the reason the Steelers lost at all. Minka Fitzpatrick wasn't able to make many plays this game. Again, I don't have the all-22 view. I can't really analyze his game 
at all as a free safety. He just doesn't show up on camera for most of the, the television broadcast. Uh, but I'll break that down. I expect to see what I expect to see is that he wasn't quite himself yet coming back from his appendix, but that he, he's, I don't think they really targeted him. We'll see. We'll see. But the person I want to talk about here is DeMonte Kazi. DeMonte Kazi played 39% of the Steelers' snaps on defense. That's more than other depth safeties play. That's more than sometimes even the, the dimebacks play, all that stuff. But when you go back and you look at week one against the Bengals, because the Bengals play a different offense than most players. They play a lot more wide receivers. They spread out more. They draw more defensive backs onto the field. And the Steelers consistently run a ton of dime against the Bengals. They did that in this game too. So I looked at the snap counts from week one. Trey Norwood played 35% of the snaps in week one as the Steelers dime back. In week 11, also against the Bengals, DeMonte Kazi plays 39% of snaps. He played a couple snaps, uh, I think one, maybe two snaps in replacement of Terrell Edmonds. And the rest, he filled the same number of snaps as Trey Norwood. Now, this is obviously his first game on the field with Minka and Terrell Edmonds. But honestly, if if the addition of DeMonte Kazi turns out to be an upgrade on Trey Norwood, then what are we doing here? Like, of, of the four defensive backs that would have played in this game had Denante Kaze not played, Cameron Sutton, Levi Wallace, Arthur Millette, and Trey Norwood. How many people would look at Trey Norwood and say, man, that's the one the Steelers got to upgrade. They need to upgrade that Trey Norwood kid. I don't think anyone's going to say that. Arthur Millette? Yeah, yeah, seriously. Uh, either Cameron Sutton or Levi Wallace. We need a number one cornerback. We need an actual, legit number one cornerback on this defense. We could really stand to upgrade the nickel pack, the nickel spot. If you use DeMonte Kaze simply as an upgrade on Trey Norwood, I just, that just boggles my mind. Trey Norwood is a perfectly fine dime back. Really good in that job. That specific role, he's fantastic. When he goes above that, not so much. But in that role, fantastic. And and uh, again, we're going to have to look. I'll, I'll talk about it next week probably because I'm going to look at that. That's one thing I really want to look at this week is the usage of the safeties once the All-22 film comes out. Really, really want to look at that. Oh, that's that's killing me right now. I, I really keep thinking about how are they using these safeties uh, when you have these three safeties and you just can't stop the running backs in the passing game or T. Higgins. There's no help for the rece- the cornerbacks covering T. Higgins. Like, what are you doing back there? I don't know. Can't wait to get a good look at what they were doing. Uh, but that's my concern is if Kazi is just an upgrade on Trey Norwood, and play some snaps for Terrell Edmonds. Like, come on, man. You're you're 
you're you're upgrading positions that are fine. Like you're taking things that are a seven and taking them to an eight, right? On a scale of one to ten, when you've got some threes and fours out there that could really use addition, that could really use you know help. All right, that is that's our show for today. I don't cover uh, coaches a lot. One of the things in the first half I did talk about was the the play calling. Uh, it is a real problem. Matt Canada, in my opinion, needs to be gone after this year. I don't talk a lot about it because coaching coaching quality is more a feel to me than something I can sit there and analyze on film because execution matters so much. Coaching on how to execute a play matters so much, but so does the players actually doing it. And when you have a rookie quarterback and you have some players that have shown themselves in the past to be limited, it's hard to blame the coach because you don't have a clear line on how much is the coach and how much is the player. There are problems on this team that are player-based. There are problems on this team that are coach-based. It's firmly believed Matt Canada needs to be gone after this season. Uh, I think he served his purpose in being the coordinator here while the Steelers were going to go through a rough transition in personnel and have to remake this whole offense. They've done it. They've done it enough for a new coach to come in and tweak things. Let's go get a better offensive coordinator. Wanted, wanted to throw that in at the end because the big the big problems to me, the big weaknesses are, right now, Deontay Johnson and his usage, his, his fit, whatever it is that's causing problems, Deontay Johnson and his production are a big weakness on this offense for as much of the salary cap, the targets, uh, the snaps he takes up, like he, he needs to be doing more. On defense, on offense, it's also the play calling. That's my other big weakness there. Uh, we're seeing Kenny Pickett develop. We're seeing him do better. We need to see the play calling evolve to take better advantage of that. Especially with Najee Harris running well now. On defense, Robert Spillane in coverage. The, the fact that we need a serious number one cornerback, and I, I think that would fix a lot of our problems on, on the secondary, just adding a, a, a high-end cornerback. And then how are you using Kazi? What's the point? Like, what is Kazi even doing going forward? Those are my three big things. On defense, my two big things on offense. All right, that is the show for today. Uh, thank you for sticking with me. Thank you for listening. Make sure you're clicking over to BehindTheSteelCurtain.com and listening to the other podcasts on the Behind the Steel Curtain family of podcasts. As always, have a great week, and let's go Steelers. Steelers.